You're a musician, aren't you, Dave? Yes, I am. What instrument do you play? Drums. Well, uh, we'll count that. When you love a show on WPSC Brave New Radio at 8 p.m. on Wednesdays, that would answer all your questions about how the music business works. Sort of like a Music Biz 101. Exactly. Wait, isn't there a show on at that time called Music Biz 101 and More that brings faculty and students from WP's music and entertainment management programs together with industry guests that take call-in questions and tweets from listeners about the biz? Yep, it's had all last spring and it's starting up again every Wednesday at 8 p.m. right here on 88.7 WPSC. Yes! There were great guests like Steve Lees from Sirius Radio and Aaron Van Dyne, who handles business affairs for KISS, Three Doors Down, Dave Matthews Band, and more. Also, Carl Guthrie, legendary entertainment attorney, and Paul Sinclair, VP of Digital for Atlantic Records. So, Steve, who's lined up for this semester? We have Dave Laurie, who will talk about tour management, Sean Rosenberg, a social media guru, and Sean and Rachel from Blue Raven Entertainment, just to name a few. Wow, sounds great. And it's free! That's right. Free advice every Wednesday night at 8 p.m. live at Music Biz 101 and more on WPSC 88.7 Brave New Radio. Donald's at the oh, Donald Trump is right at the door. Just there. fired, fired all of us. This is you. Oh, let's just start. You guys who are listening tonight are the luckiest people in the world because you're listening to Music Biz 101 and more. And I want a, a shout out of a happy new year to all our friends who are celebrating tonight. Yes, a happy new year to all of our good our good friends, and we want to thank you who are listening to Music Biz 101 and more. You can tweet us at any moment at MusicBiz101WP. Give a call in with questions because we're going to have a, we do have an awesome guest. You can call at 973-720-2738. We are the only terrestrial free advice music and entertainment biz talk show and podcast in all of the Americas. We think. We, 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 we think and we... We have a disclaimer that I think we should bring up. Yeah, the disclaimer is we think. But That's there's right. there's a lot going on. But I I brought up the word terrestrial this week I heard because it. we are a college radio show, even though we're work at a university, and we are on the campus of William Patterson, the university, and we're on Brave New Radio, eighty eight point seven FM. Very excited, and I should tell you who I am. I am the professor David Kirk Philp. You may call me Professor David Kirk Philp, and we are here tonight with. The professor's friend, Steve Marconi. Right. Who is an excellent doctor. And I have a sore sore on my lip, doctor. What do I do? <laughs> Wrong kind of doctor. Call a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> Call the, a better doctor than you. And then we have a student co-host with us tonight, and her name is... Hi, I'm Devana. <laughs> we, have, we have Devana, Devana Apravado, and she is... Uh, Excited to be here. A little bit nervous, but don't be nervous. I'm pretty nervous. First time, long time for Devana. And she's a graduate student. Going for your what? What is the degree you want? Well, I'm getting my MBA right now with a concentration in music management, which is really great. I love the program here because it really lends itself to those with an entrepreneurial spirit. And um, that's that. That's me. Good. That's great. That's good. Uh, We also have our producer, Philip Gorakovsky, who is here with us today. Can we clap for Philip? Can we clap? I think we can because we are. It's great to have you here, Philip. It always is, always was, and always probably will be. We also have Joey Stefan, who is our resident person who sits in the corner and says nothing. Joey, thank you for being here. Joey is a student here as well, but he uh, is into the networking thing. He's into meeting people, and Joey has decided to crash. Does he stutter? 
Joey, uh, only when he's nervous. Well, it could be, he could be the stuttering Joe. He could be our stuttering Joe. He could be our, <laughs> our Howard Stern right. thing. And then, of course, we do have a guest tonight, and we should bring up who our guest is. His, his name is Steve Corbin, and he is the vice president of content development at WIA. And we want to thank Steve for being here. Thank you, Steve Corbin. Woo! Thank you very much for having me as a guest. I'm Listen to honored. That. Very honored. What a radio voice you've got, Steve. Yes. This is, it's, it's, it's tremendous. So we're excited to be here. A few things we're going to talk about before we get into the Steve Corbin-a-thon that we're excited. Okay. First of all, we want to talk about just some of the upcoming guests that we have. Yes. Ne- next week, Steve Marconi, we have Dave Laurie. Tell us about Dave Laurie. Great. Dave is a uh, has a very varied career in the industry, and he uh, did work at Artemis Records and Mercury Records um, under Polygram. And then he went into tour management. He is the co-producer of the new music seminar and just a wealth of, of information and was a former music uh, expert, visiting music expert in our program many we, years ago. Which is great. We, we, got a, we have a visiting music expert this year. Yes, we do. And he'll be on very shortly. We're yeah. working on that. Paul Sinclair, who is the head of digital and e-commerce marketing for Atlantic. Do you know Paul Sinclair? I do. There we go. Great. We're just in love with our friends from from WIA. Paul Sinclair is at the A, works at the A in WIA. (laughs) And then uh, on the 8th uh, of October, we have Frank Robin, who is the guitar tech for Hall & Oates and the jam band Mo. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're also excited on the 15th of October, Howard Freeman, who is the man who has put together for a number of years and, and conceived of the Quick Check Balloon Festival, which some people call the New Jersey Festival of Ballooning, but it takes place every July in uh, Central Jersey. Yes. Which is uh, sponsored by Quick Check, and it's a huge, huge event. And he also runs a Rock Ribs and Ridges, which is a big music festival. Yeah, he's a great promoter. He's a tremendous a promoter. And uh, is doing well with it. Yes. Yes, and he's got a big staff, so that's going to be an excellent thing. And, of course, we don't want to forget about College Radio Day taking place October 3rd, not just at William Patterson, the university, but in all of, all the world. And we're excited about that. We're going to have a special show on October 3rd, and uh, we're going to save you right now on who our guest is because it's a uh, an exclusive surprise guest, but that's going to be very exciting for us as well. We also have two other points we want to talk about. We have a very special boot camp, music biz, popular music biz boot camp coming up at William Patterson mm-hmm. on Saturday morning, October 18th. If you're interested, come on down for free. And it's a, it's an event with uh, some pop music students are going to perform. We have a harpist named Enki Bello who's going to perform. We have a pianist named Tim Geisen who sounds always reminds me of Ben Folds, but he's he's awesome. Mm-hmm. They're going to be performing. Then we're going to have some master classes that Dr. Marconi is going to talk, basics of the music biz. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do social media. And uh, our colleague, Professor Dave Kersner, is going to talk about your home recording studio. Yep. And this is about a two-and-a-half-hour event on Saturday, October 18th, here at William Patterson. It's free. Cookies. And we're going to provide some cookies and donuts right. that I'm actually personally going to purchase on my own and bring them on my own that morning. Orange, I hope, They're, for Halloween. Orange, yes, of course. And William Patterson. Yes. The, the black and orange William Patterson But we are digressing colors. right now. And then there is also the William <laughs> Patterson Academy Conservatory that we have started. Do you want to talk about that? No. The William Patterson Academy is basically a prep, a, a music prep school. I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it that way. We're having fun. Uh, but um, no, this is the first time we're doing this at William Patterson for middle school up through through 
uh, adults, but there is going to be a series of classes uh, in various subjects all to do with music that uh, we're trying to get off the ground this semester, but I think we'll really develop by the uh, spring. But we are trying for a, a launch date of uh, mid-October with that. Right. And it's going to be a great opportunity for people to take lessons in various instruments. And also, you're going to be teaching a course. I'm teaching a course. So mm-hmm. there's some, some cool stuff there. So there's that. And uh, finally, we have every spring a music management seminar series here. Mm-hmm. And in honor of our, our last week's guest, his name is Wayne Chernin, and he's the vice president of sales for Island and Republic Records. Uh, I I went back to a guest that Steve, you had with Steve Leeds, Professor Steve Leeds here in April of 2013. You had Jim Rappo and Monty Lippman That's from right. Republic Records. That's and Monty right. is the head of Republic and, and Jim Jim's Rappo is... vice president of marketing. Right, his right-hand, right-hand man. Mm-hmm. And uh, I put the video of this of this lecture series, of this one event, ah, up on our website, musicbiz101wp.com. Mm-hmm. And what was cool is if you, I tweeted about this today, and you can look at this, at musicbiz101wp, if you scroll through about 39 minutes in, Monty Lippman plays some early Lord music. Yeah, he plays Royals, an, an early version of Royals, right. before it was released to radio. Yes. He actually called her Lordy. Right. <laughs> yeah, she was that new to the label. They had just signed her uh, to New Zealand. And you can hear this version of Royals that's early before it became the hit. Mm-hmm. And you can hear him talking about this artist before she became who she is now, which, yeah. is, which is a giant artist. And he's a wonderful uh, CEO and president because he's so enthusiastic about the artist when he talks. He just, you really, you know, he engages you to want to go further with that artist and Check it out, and so on. So that's great. I didn't even know you did that. Yeah, yeah, it's it's very cool, and it, and it's uh, it's interesting because all these videos are available, and I've been posting them on the website so people can go back because there, there's some really good stuff mm-hmm. in there that people can uh, yes. can if they want to do some. And independent we're keeping stuff. our fingers crossed because we're hoping this year, 2015, that we will actually live broadcast all five of them right here at WPSC. And all five were going and we're on your campus of William Patterson University. Yes. And what kind of person are you trying to get? We're trying to get of the other gender. Right, which is... Uh, for every single guest. Yes. Uh, which will be a first, I think, of the whole series is uh, women in the industry. Uh, and we're, you know, we're really getting serious trying to get that done. So it should be very exciting, actually. Right. And there's some very strong and talented women in the industry. I was looking back at my career recently and how many women bosses I've had, and it's most of them have been mm-hmm. female bosses, yet people still consider this to be a, a male-driven uh, yeah. industry. So right. it would be great to celebrate the woman and get them on here and kind of show mm-hmm. show what they have. So that's all that stuff. So uh, just so everybody knows, it is Music Biz 101 and more. You're listening to WPSC Brave New Radio 88.7 on the campus of William Patterson University. But Steve, I think we should interview We have a guest. Yes, we have a guest, and I think we yes. should get to the guest now. Okay, great. Um, Steve, we were just uh, sort of kibitzing a little bit, but why don't you tell the listening audience how you got into this business? Um, pretty pretty simple story. I needed a job, mm-hmm. and uh, I was went to school at Eastern Illinois University, kind of a small Midwestern school. Actually transferred from there to go to Howard University, and I needed to work and go to school at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I uh, basically walked into a record store called Harmony Hut Records in Springfield, Virginia, 
went back in the back and said, are you hiring? And they basically said, well, um, sure, but it is to be in the back room, you know, checking in product, putting it out on the floor. And at mm-hmm. that particular time, this particular uh, chain, which is no longer around, not only did we sell music, we sold stereos, we sold musical instruments and what have you. And I basically just, you know, fell in love with it. It really wasn't like going to work. Mm-hmm. Other jobs I had had growing up were it was like a laborer at a shell oil refinery and, you know, cut grass and manual stuff. Sure. So this was every day like going to uh, uh, class in a certain sense yeah. because um, uh, the one thing I'm sure everybody will agree on, when people are passionate about what they love musically, there is no wrong music. Even if it's something you don't personally like, someone could tell you that, listen, it's if it's Maynard Ferguson and I like Miles Davis, the person that loves Maynard Ferguson will tell you exactly why. Mm-hmm. Um, so every day I was uh, fortunate enough to to learn from our customers. And from that, I ended up, uh, I'll just give you the short story. I ended up working at CBS Records um, as an inventory clerk. Uh, then I became a sales rep in the D.C. area. And then when I was uh, 29, I got promoted to be the sales manager in the New England branch, which was Massachusetts, Vermont, New Hampshire, Rhode Island, um, upstate New York. And um, got a call. Uh, from a gentleman that uh, that I work with at CBS Records. Now it become Sony Music by that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, to come work at Polygram at PGD at the distribution company. And I was the uh, head of sales and marketing for black music and kind of created that department um, for PGD and uh, eventually became the head of sales there for a short amount of time. And then I got a call from the CEO of Polygram, Alon Levy, and he wanted me to be the uh, EVP and GM of Motown Records because hmm. uh, they were getting a new CEO and they felt like I would be a good fit with my uh, distribution and, and business background. I did that um, for a few years and then um, went out to MCA Records and I was the senior VP of R&B operations and I actually worked um, with the A&R department or actually was in the A&R department and um, got to work with a lot of great guys, like Randy Jackson was one of our A&R folks. You guys mm-hmm. are familiar with him from American Idol. Sure. And got to work with artists like The Roots and Common, Most Def, Mary J. Blige, uh, Patti LaBelle, Gladys Knight, uh, a really unique artist called Reese that uh, never really got her day, but she's uh, one of the one of, still one of my favorite artists. Um, as the business started to turn a little bit, uh, not south, but just started to go in a different direction, I always felt like from working at Motown and MCA that I would like to go into artist management because uh, you would come across managers that were very experienced, knew their artist, and you did great things. I always felt like Richard Nichols, uh, who managed The Roots uh, for a long, long time, mm-hmm. was passionate about the group, and he was uh, uh, you know, one of the best to some people. They really had very little experience about how the business actually worked. Um, moved to Atlanta to be closer to my family and basically wanted the goal of trying to take an artist from zero to whatever. Did that for a couple of years, but it was like a bad business plan, <laughs> right? Because as a manager, for most people know, you don't, you don't get paid a salary. It's all based on commission. So you really need an artist to generate some income for you. Um, so I put on a couple of shows, uh, managed a couple of, of acts just starting out, and then I eventually got a call from um, somebody I used to work with at, uh, at PGD and actually had known for a long time about this catalog job at WIA. 
And I said, I'll do it. I moved to New York. It's great. Uh, put, put me back in distribution. And from that time forward, it, it's been like nine years now. I've gone from, uh, I still deal with our, our music catalog, but I've added other you know categories such as our, our DVD business, which is very small compared to the majors, our retail merch business. And I'm a liaison with our Nashville labels, Warner Nashville and Curb. And uh, believe it or not, I actually work with our Latina company. Uh-huh. So there you go. Great. Is that well, good? Is that right? I mean, it's interesting because <laughs> when there were uh, record stores, I would always tell the students, if you're working at Macy's, quit and go work at a, a record store mm-hmm. because we always respected the point of purchase experience. That if a student had that point of purchase experience and then could work backwards, if you will, uh, it, it was very respected. So that basically similar to what you accomplished when you got to the Washington, D.C. area to go to Howard, and you started at this store that actually had more than just records. Absolutely. But you started to learn point of purchase. It was my, it's the foundation. Yeah. For, I would say in my career, it's definitely been my foundation. Right. So now these, you know, the the storyline, of course, is Dan Eck has taken point of purchase out of the equation with, uh, with uh, music in general, the selling of music or the revenue stream. Uh, do you agree with that? Do you see a, a future in still some sort of purchase of music? Yes, oh, I do. absolutely do. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll tell you, one of the growing categories in the business today is vinyl records. Right, but it's um, still minuscule. I mean, Well, I, I think when you look at the, uh, the sound scan numbers by the end of this year, uh, I'll, I'll give you a comparison. Back in 2007, probably less than a million Mm-hmm. units were scanned sure and this year it'll be closer to six million right so that's a pretty good growth in a small amount of time uh given the 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 industry pressures that, that they're not building new vinyl manufacturing facilities right so from a capacity perspective it's a little bit of a challenge just to make sure that you're able to to uh you know manufacture properly and correctly right um it's certainly been um, a great thing for the independent stores, which are still out there. Yeah. So yeah. Um, a student could still get that experience working in an independent store where you're probably, without question, the closest to the customer. Mm-hmm. And you could learn a tremendous amount about not only the customer, but just the business by doing that. So, right. so um, the, the final I, numbers. I, let me just say this. I would just say that the consumer today has just a tremendous amount of uh, of opportunity and ways that they can uh, consume music. Oh, absolutely. And that's, that, so More I think the ever. universe is probably expanding yes. in terms of that versus contracting, which is, I think, a great, great thing for, for everybody. Right. Yeah, I, we've never devalued music. We're just consuming it in different ways, new and different ways. Correct. And it's a challenging to, to the old buy and sell business because it isn't just that anymore but the the those vinyl numbers will although they will grow they're skewed a little bit with the reduction of the cd or the reduction of the like the number one billboard this week did it sell a hundred thousand copies i don't even know what it is right now but there was that article very recently where the number one record i think had sold thirty thousand well look at that 20 years ago wouldn't have been on it would have made the top two hundred. Not, not That's nowhere. Correct. Right. That's correct. So uh, it's changing. I mean, and, uh, um, 
That's what makes it exciting. I th- yes, and we think, I think there are there's a misconception out there that music business is down and it's not a place to get in, uh, you know, not a business to get into. Where in actuality, it's only really the CD business that really has shrunk, uh, and record companies have done other things to make themselves strong, healthy, and and in some aspects stronger than ever. Yes. Um, yes. We're actually going to talk about a number of those things. We have to take a real quick break. Ah. But we're going to talk about Steve used the word, uh, Steve Corbin, our guest, used the word exciting. And we're going to come back with some real exciting uh, talk. And then we're also going to have a bunch of your tweets. So keep tweeting questions at MusicBiz101WP. You're listening to Brave New Radio, and you're listening to MusicBiz101 and more on WPSC. Hey, Dr. Steve Marconi, did you know about our Music Biz 101 and More theme song contest? I did and do, but only because I co-host the show. It probably wouldn't be good for you not to know. We're off the topic. Here's the contest that's open to every listener in America. Not Russia? No, I'm mad at them. It's simple. Submit an original tune to be used as the theme song for Music Biz 101 and More. A panel of judges is standing by ready to pick the winner. Any style of music, right? Right. Vocal, instrumental, it can be funny or serious. Our blue ribbon panel is looking for something that stands out. One of those old love songs in your sock drawer won't win. Because that song probably sucks, right, Steve? Funny. All entries are due by November 5th. And the winner will be announced on our show December 10th. What does the winner get? The winning song will be played at the beginning and end of the show and broadcast live on Wednesday nights at 8 p.m. here on WPSC. Plus, you'll get verbal credit in each show, and don't forget the podcast. The show is mobile on Stitcher Radio, so if you win, you can have your parents hear the theme song from their phones and then listen to us interview the best of the best of the music and entertainment industry. This is how Justin Bieber got his start. No. This is how Lady Gaga got her start. No. This is how Paramore got their start. No. But it might be the start of your career. Tweet us for details at MusicBiz101WP or go to our contest page, MusicBiz101WP.com backslash theme song contest. Do it now! You, you've really got me now. We're listening to Music Biz 101 and more. Every week. Every week I'm... I'm well, what, then I what? think I'm going to get Professor Crane to give you a few lessons. I think my voice, voice is beautiful. Thing called Pro Tools <laughs> that perhaps may help there. That's right. What is this Pro Tools? You mean every artist who we hear on the radio, Steve Corbin, they don't... Not that's true. Not, that's not how they really sound? I can't... Really? I am, I am surprised at this, but you should not be surprised if you're listening, because you are listening to Music Biz 101 More on Brave New Radio, and you also hopefully are listening to this afterwards as a podcast on Stitcher.com. If you've never been to Stitcher.com, go there, type in Music Biz, music Space Biz, Space 101, ampersand, ampersand, ampersand. That, that's enough. I, I did it the other night. That's enough. That's it. And it shows up good. Is, okay. Yeah, you're, then you can download it. it and you can take it with you all the time. One uh, one thing you heard during the break was a announcement for a big theme song contest. Mm-hmm. We're not How are we repeat. doing? We're actually doing very well with this theme song contest. Good. We have we have uh, got another entry yesterday. Um, mm-hmm. Three people came up to me yesterday actually and told me that they were entering the contest. We have uh, a number of people who are actually entering the contest, which is really cool. And there's some great prizes, which we will tell you briefly. By the way, you have until November 5th to do this, but we're going to announce. It's coming up. It is coming up, as Paul McCartney sang. On the 19th of November, the first round winners will be announced. Then on the... 10th of December, 2014, we're going to announce the winner, and the winner is going to receive things like a 15-minute block of time on Philip Gorachowski's show between 7 and 8 on the 14th of January. 
A bouquet of roses. A bouquet of roses from <laughs> Philip Gorchowski because uh, he understands that the winner probably will not use deodorant. We also have uh, on our show on the 14th of January, you will also be our, our guest host and we'll get to play your song and talk to you a little bit about that. And then... Uh, the cool thing is you will also be, uh, your best song will be in rotation on WPSC, Brave New Radio, 88.7 FM, for about a month. No, actually for exactly a month or maybe more if, if there's a lot of information about it. But definitely for a, for a month uh, after you win this contest. So we tell you, enter early, enter often, enter your best stuff, and we're really excited about this contest. Mm-hmm. Anything? Great. Any other comments, Steve? No. I'm anxious to hear uh, the final submissions yes yes um we're back with our guest steve corbin who's the vice president of content development at WIA, and he also owns his own company called lupo entertainment which we're going to get to uh steve may i ask you a quick question because you mentioned um the two-year black mark on your personal career when you were managing Mm -hmm. you were a personal manager can you get into i wouldn't um, call it a black mark i mean yes it didn't do well Learning experience. Yes. Yes. Okay. Your two-year doctorate in uh, personal management. Let's call it. That's the that's the positive way to look at it. Can you explain what you did? How you found whoever you decided to manage, um, and what went wrong? Was there anything that went right? Because everybody listening is basically a DIY artist. They want to be a manager, or they want to get a manager. What were some of the things that you learned that you think you could pass along to our listeners? I think it's a, a degree of, of patience in terms of that. It's a degree of patience. There are whether it's whether you're with a major label or you're independent. I think that there are times where you know artists really feel like, okay, I've finished my record. Let's put it out and it's going to go. Versus doing really all the things that you want to do. It all depends on who the artist is and what their what their goal is. Uh, you have some artists that, that enjoy playing out, playing live. And uh, when you first start out, at least the the bands that I work with, artists I work with, I mean, they're playing in places like uh, it was even hard to get in a place like Eddie's Attic in in, in Atlanta, mm-hmm. places like that. Or they would go to a place and only draw, you know, 20 or 30 people, probably half of them might have been family and friends. And it is really, really easy to d- get discouraged. It's easy to get discouraged. And the one thing that um, I've always encouraged uh, the artists I've consulted is, you know, just be true to yourself musically. Don't compromise what you're trying to do to, in order to try to create a hit record or uh, try to do something that you're not comfortable uh, creatively doing. And uh, those can be some some very, very difficult uh, conversations. I think if I had to do it all over again, it would be to try to uh, find an artist that had something going. Uh, if I liken it to, to, uh, to, to a sports program at a school... The football program at the University of Georgia, you know, pays for gymnastics and Mm -hmm. other things that aren't quite revenue generating. Um, So from a business perspective, I would say that was probably uh, an error that I that I made. Definitely. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. plus, I'd spent even though um, for me, musically, my tastes are all over the place and who I worked with were mainly singer-songwriters. The background coming from MCA Motown was really much more R&B and hip-hop. And I decided to kind of go down a different path because I just didn't want to be uh, pigeonholed or put into a box uh, to do that as well, too. So two things. I could have stayed on that road, which would have been more comfortable or, or more connected that way versus trying to create a new path. But 
I felt like I worked with, uh, you know, some, some good artists that, uh, you know, just didn't quite make it. Mm-hmm. Was there anything, um, and you don't, please don't name the artist, but there, was there anything that as the manager mm-hmm. that you were unhappy with, uh, in terms of the artist maybe commitment or, uh, was there anything? No. They, they did no. everything right. It just I mean, didn't work out. The majority of them all had regular jobs. So you had, you know, kids that were doing regular jobs and then every extra hour or time that they had, they spent on their craft. So you had people that, you know, had nine to five jobs or, you know, odd, odd and in job just because they wanted to pursue uh, music. So I can't find fault in, in that part of it. I couldn't say, well, just quit your job and let's just go. No, no, they needed, they needed some income too to be able to pursue their dreams. And so what were you doing on a daily basis to try and further their career? It all depends on what they needed. I think you, as a manager, you tailor make uh, for each artist what they need. Uh, you know, one group that I work with out of Pennsylvania, we needed to make a record. So coming from my MCA days and working in the studio and working with artists, I helped them, you know, make their record. Um, they had they had made a record before, but they had kind of an interesting way to do it, and I kind of encouraged them to um, you know do it a little bit differently. Basically, uh, wor- work out all their song ideas, and honestly, you know, if they came up with you know fifteen or twenty songs, it's probably dating myself and you. It's like you know what, maybe this you just put this put out ten the ten best songs should be on the album. Shouldn't be any filler, any, anything like that, and. Um, that was a good experience for me and a good experience for them. So we spent probably the better time, you know, six months making the record. Uh, the other time these guys worked, these guys actually were a cover band. So we also had this identity mm-hmm. crisis where we said, well, let's change the original music and change the original name so that people don't associate you as a cover band. Because mm-hmm. there was a stigma associated with bands that were like that and these were good kids by and large um and we got a little bit of activity a little bit of a buzz but they their draw was really their cover shows they would get a thousand people make a lot of money doing covers and uh it would just be the opposite when they try to do their original stuff mm-hmm. yeah i mean that that shows how tough it is we had a couple of weeks ago uh, uh sean gilday and rachel hill from a company called blue raven entertainment and they are agents and they book uh, gigs for tribute bands and cover bands, and uh, they only have a couple original bands. But they were talking about how successful these cover bands are. They have a Fleetwood Mac cover band and a uh, uh, Eagles cover band mm-hmm. and a Zeppelin and a Pink Floyd and a Rolling Stones. And these bands do tremendous, tremendous. I know a uh, a Def Leppard cover band tribute mm-hmm. band called Adrenalize that's based actually in North Jersey. They've been called. They've gone down to uh, Brazil, like Rio, I think, and they've been flown down and they've done a two-hour set of of Def Leppard hits and flown back because and they've played to like thirty thousand people. Right. You know right. there are opportunities out there. And for the, that. and the old avenue, of course, for any band was to start doing covers and make them your own. And start throwing in a, an original. original here and there, here and there, because you couldn't find a club that would book you to do all original material. But any, um, you know, going back a ways, most record companies would want to hear the cover, but they would want it to be you. 
Yeah. So not not copying the record like you'd think of no, a cover no. band. Mm-hmm. Just copy the record because you could do that in 10 minutes if you were talented as a band. But to take a, a record that was sort of uh, maybe esoteric, like um, I remember we did Mercedes Benz, you know, when, when Janet had, Janice had done it with just well, basically a cappella. And then we made it our own. And, the, and it was just a, an extreme uh, sort of plus because they all knew that record and loved that record. Right. And then here we came and we did it with an entire band, and it was, you know, it was it was good. And consequently, that's basically the way you start to get noticed, is, mm-hmm. is to go beyond just covering, but do take that tune you love and make it your own. You talked about how you're working in the CD, the DVD, and also the merch business mm-hmm. uh, at WIA. Can you kind of talk about how, from your perspective, how each of those is different and maybe how each are similar? Well, from the from selling it to the stores and the distributors, one-stops, in many cases, the difference is you actually have different buyers for each of the categories for some mm-hmm. of the accounts. You have someone that that's what they buy. They're the apparel trend buyer. Uh, you have someone that buys DVDs, and you have someone that buys music. They're all experts in that particular, you know, part of the business. And we match them up. We have in our company, we've got, uh, you know, specialists that deal in those particular areas. We've got a head of retail merch for us. We've got a head of video sales uh, for us. And depending on the category and the CD side, we've just got different account managers and and uh, we have people that are catalog specialists that do that. So it's um, the CD and DVD business is aligned in people point to that first week, right? For new releases and the apparel business, it's really about getting those designs out and keeping designs fresh, uh, particularly for an account like a hot topic. Who's, who's very much into trend and, and does very, very well with it. It's constantly coming up with new designs and getting them, rotating them in and out, and keeping them fresh, alive to the band's uh, liking, because you got to get approval on that part of it. Where the CD, you know, you don't, you're not really changing the CD. It is what it is, or the DVD um, is the same the whole time. Mm-hmm. So that's a that's a little that's much 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 different ball game. When you have this this content that we're talking about, like the CD and the merch and and the DVD, is this part of a three sixty deal that we has with an artist? Is that case by case, or is that well, in some in in some cases? But in our company now, I mean, our distribution company, it's it's not the old distribution model of the past where all you really dealt with was CDs. I mean, we are in other businesses. We're in a service business. So we have a particular arm of the company that really works with artist websites. Uh, they do tour merch, you know, tour supply, managed tour, along with retail point of view. So, yes, some of the rights are uh, considered the 360 rights. But by and large, it uh, I'll put my Lupo hat on. In some ways, it's better to make one phone call with one company knowing that they're handling all your business mm-hmm. than having to make several phone calls because then you can connect the dots a little bit easier in, in terms of that. Working working with one particular label and then working with the main distribution company on other parts of the business. Okay. Right? Because, for example, if a band does a, a concert DVD and in the past they might have to go elsewhere to try mm-hmm. to get distribution for that, where they can come to us and... Um, you know, we'll we'll get it out for them. That's when I was at Polygram Video mm-hmm. in the, back in the PGD yep. days. Uh, for example, we would have a Paul McCartney live 
VHS DVD. Right. And Paul McCartney was not on any of the Polygram labels. Right. Correct. Yep. And uh, so that would be a situation where he had the rights to his video and he would, I guess, uh, put them up for bid and whoever won the bid. There was, that happened quite a bit for music video, I Sure, sure. It uh, definitely did. Or it was a situation where the other company really wasn't in that business. So, you know, you want to service your artist, you say, well, you should, you know, take it elsewhere. And, you know, nowadays you're hopefully, you know, you're actually, you have so much information today so that even if it's not your artist, you can still find out, is there a tour going on? Is there a, a new album coming out and kind of work around that schedule so that you're maximizing the revenue that, that the artist will be able to, to obtain. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Devana Aprovado, our MBA <laughs> candidate, uh, has a question that has yeah. been tweeted in. Uh, we do have a question from ACM Records at Music Biz. With the big three music groups controlling the industry, how can indie labels, artists get featured on iTunes homepage? Is it all about the money? No. I would say not at all. A part of the Warner Music Group is we've got an excellent, one of the best independent distribution companies in ADA. And ADA distributes Sub Pop, Epitaph Records, Rise Records. Rise Records is one of these little uh, hard rock, uh, heavy metal labels that's just doing just great stuff. And um, utilizing the, the, the strength of the big three, or in our particular case, the Warner Music Group, um, those labels st- get a very, very good opportunity, whether it's with iTunes or whether it's with some of the, the major retailers. So in his case, because that was ACM Records, yeah. he would, to capitalize on his question, the answer for his question to get featured on the iTunes page, he should try to make some sort of a deal with one of the big three. Well, that or basically create enough of a marketing buzz that people are looking for your artist record music. Mm-hmm. If you're able to do that, then it, it works. It works quite well. You look at Macklemore and Ryan Lewis. Yeah, that's I was just a, that, bring was, that, up. that came through ADA, right? But that was literally a, a deal with with them. Mm-hmm. But they created. I mean, listen, it's not like they started last. You know. Two months before they put the, they've been around for like a while. Yes. Again, working hard in the Seattle area to kind of build a regional following. That's that still works today. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically, they use the platform of ADA's great independent services and and, and distribution efforts combined with the larger Warner Music Group uh, situation. And I think it worked out quite well for everybody. Obviously, yes. I do have. So a- it's not impossible. Mm-hmm. I have a question from Jasmine Henry at Henry J. Perk. Um, how does social media play into the category of content and development, and how much do you rely on it? I think social media today, is, whether it's our business or the news or anything, it's such a, it's such a great tool mm-hmm. uh, between Twitter and Facebook and things like that. I, I don't know of uh, uh, many artists that don't have some social media outlet. That's like a, I would call that a basic. Um, as far as, as far as the development of content, I, I think there's a little bit of a misnomer in the title. Uh, my job is to really make sure that, uh, where my area is servicing our record labels and our artists to do that. Um, and I think the content development piece was when vinyl was less than a million units, that was an area that, um, I was able to work, uh, you know, with our labels. There was a guy named Tom Barry, uh, 
at Warner Bros., otherwise known as Grover, that was very passionate about vinyl back in 2006, 2007. And our ex-CEO um, at WIA, uh, John Esposito, who's now the president of Warner uh, Nashville, mm-hmm. was also a, a vinyl junkie, if you will, for lack of a better way to put it. And they just felt something. And and to this day, even uh, with what Grover started, um, he said, you know, it's got to be about quality. It's got to be about the right vinyl. And we went to great lengths to just to make sure that we were manufacturing, producing the best quality vinyl out there today. It still holds true today. Uh, we've got a guy in our office in New York, Billy Fields, that is just, um, you talk about enthusiastic and crazy about vinyl he is really that lightning rod that every company needs to really help push a format and a configuration forward so mm-hmm. and we also have um from nico d hey steve you've been around for a while are albums as important as singles now what are the positives of of albums now what are the positives of albums versus... I guess making the album. It's a body of work. It's a body of work. I still, you know, I would think everyone would still think a great album is a great album. Mm-hmm. You know? Look at Adele. Who would have thought, I mean, Adele sold probably 10 million. Soundscan number was 10 million records. I mean, people weren't just buying one single. They ended probably got the single, got the album, and... um I think throughout the history of the business, it's just um, I mean, there's there's a handful of artists, a handful of records that are just so brilliantly done that the, that you really have to have that whole album. Mm-hmm. I'm still not sold on vinyl, and I'm not sold on vinyl for the okay. for the reason that the world is so mobile now, and everything's mobile, mobile, mobile. With with the vinyl, either you're gonna have to record it to something so it can be mobile. You certainly can't go to the health club. I can't go to LLA Fitness with a <laughs> you know, with a turntable and sit there and work out. So I I mean I, I think it just goes against what the direction that society is headed, uh, in terms of you know, who sits down and listens to both sides and gets up and flips the 12-inch over and so on. I mean, those were great days, of course, because right. you walk right. into a dorm room and you'd say, side two, cut four, you know, and that would be it. Uh, I just I just don't see it. I well, see it more as a novelty. One of the things I would say is go to Garden State Plaza. Mm-hmm. Go to Urban Outfitters. Right. They, they're they in the new part of the mall. Sorry, right. I know this podcast know is probably are, going yeah. across the country or whatever but uh their new store is three levels mm-hmm. and the mezzanine level it is all vinyl surrounded by um probably 15 different models of crosley turntables mm-hmm. they actually have three have witness kids coming in headphones on listening to music and yes. it's uh the old booths. it's it's exciting it's really really exciting right um, well, that's that's exactly well for the for those of you who don't remember my voice i'm phil I'm the producer, but that's exactly it. Because Urban Outfitters is um, it's urban and it's you know, it's outfitters. It's the new generation that's coming through, and um, I think we're realizing the importance of albums as a whole. And as you said before, as um, as a body of work, because it's not just 
oh, this guy put out a new song. It's this guy put out a new album. And um, I think we're learning how to appreciate that. And even though the industry is moving into um, into a different direction, we're kind of pulling along the past with us, with the with, with uh, vinyl and records. And I think my generation um, is starting to realize this. Mm-hmm. So. And, and by the way, the new the turntables still allow them to be able to take an album and you know and convert it, so they've got multi yeah. portable yeah. files, MP3 files, and what have you. I, to, I would to then take like with to them. see some campaign of a, of a value added. In other words, like the old Gillette, where the razor was really the business they were in, but they gave the blades away for free. If we're going to try to get people to do this, then some sort of a value added, where maybe the turntable and you get 10 vinyls for something mm-hmm. that that attracts mm-hmm. you know people to really dive into this so that when you go over to someone's house you don't go oh wow you have a you know it's sort of taken for granted that now you have a vinyl player next to your cd player next to your um iphone etc cetera, etc cetera. i i think another question that would really extend the idea of the album as the whole comes from Bobby Mahoney at Bobby Mahoney. And he says, how much input do the artists have when it comes to what content is put out, meaning album art, merchandise, and the album itself? The artist has, you you want them to be heavily involved in the process all the way through. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, from the recording part of the record, from what the album artwork looks like to merchandise. I mean, if you're going to, you basically get approvals on all the designs that you would put out there for retail or tour and what have you. You absolutely would. You wouldn't just print something up and just say, here it is and we're going to sell it. Sorry. No, you don't do that at all. It's it's very, they're they're the ones that are creating the art. Mm-hmm. For lack of a better way to frame it, you know, music is art, and you uh, you want them to do that. Now, do you push them? Yeah, your job, whether you're the producer in the studio or whether you're the A and R person, whether you're the marketing person, your job is to get the best performance out of the artist mm-hmm. to push them to do that, to push them to push themselves. Some need a little bit more pushing, some don't. Some definitely have some ideas about exactly what they want to do and how they want to create others will look to you for help. They say, I've got these 20 songs. I'm not really sure uh, which are the best 10. So you, you give guidance. You're like a coach. So it's, Mm -hmm. it's really different for every artist. You can't just say that you're walking parallel hand in hand when trying to create the artist's brand. One artist has a better idea of what they want to do rather than maybe another one. Am I correct to assume that? Say that one more time. Um, so you and the artist that you're mm-hmm. working with, mm-hmm. each will be different. So it's not necessarily that in every case you're going to be working hand in hand on creating the brand. Like one artist, for example, might have their brand all planned out and you would be there more to moderate or to coach them in right. different directions and, and, they and guide take. them. Correct. That's correct. Mm-hmm. Each is very different. Each artist is very, very unique and very different. Even if it's a, a similar genre, there's still some uniqueness within each artist and their approach to making records. Mm-hmm. Can we switch switch gears for a second sure. and talk about the relationship between distribution and retail? Okay. Because I think there's uh, there's something that a lot of 
I think students and, and DIY people don't understand, and that's the relationship between advertising and um, and getting product into stores and getting store uh, getting that product that is in, within retailers, getting it positioned properly. Can you talk about how that has changed over the years, or if it's exactly the same today as it was maybe twenty years ago? It's it's different today simply because we have more tools. Retailers have to, better tools. We have better tools. On the physical side of the business, it's really the supply chain is a very, very important part of, um, you know, what you do today. You know, 20 years ago, um, the idea of you pick a number, we're going to ship, just making this up, obviously, we're going to ship a million records because we just feel like we need to ship a million records. We think the first, we don't really know what the first week's going to be, but let's let's get it out there. It's We're spending all this money. Let's go. Well, nowadays, you know, we've gotten it down between ourselves and the retailers down to a point where you can say, all right, if we're going to scan, what was that number you threw out? 30,000 right. units in the first week, we know by customer generally what they should take because now we have enough of a science to know what their market share will be on a title. Mm-hmm. And so the, you go into the to the account, uh, you present your, your, not your case, you present your situation. We feel that the first, actually that's where you start out. You say, we think the first week physical number is going to be this. The first week digital number is going to be this. Uh, we think your share is 10% of the physical marketplace or Five percent of the overall first week, and the and by that formula, you also know how much the account buys and for what long, what period of time. So they may say, okay, well, if I'm five percent, I'm going to buy X number of records because that's going to carry me for the first four weeks. Mm-hmm. So the idea, instead of because again, that was costing the retailers money and us money by when you talk about all the returns that used to come back. Yeah, cause in because the old... of some of the mistakes that, that we would make because we didn't have the tools to be able to really mm-hmm. look at it. A lot of retailers today have analysts. We have research uh, and we have analysts within our organization that actually look and study market trends. Uh, they help with projections. They work with the accounts. They work with the account managers. They work with us. And they really kind of keep us in check to say, hey – you guys are dreaming. That's not going to sell that much the first week because here's a comparable title. Here's what the marketplace is saying. Uh, a year ago, we went up against, you know, this is what was out at that particular period of time, and it's just not going to work or, you know, it is going to work. So it, it's it is more much of a par- different. It's a more of a partnership, it feels like. Uh, going back when I was in sales and, and we would I would have an HMV store mm-hmm. and we would have a new U2 album that came out. And basically – the, the sales branch was given a quota and the branch would break the quota down per retailer. And we as a sales rep would have to go into the stores and we would say, okay, my quota, basically, I got to get 1,500 units mm-hmm. of U2 in here. In order to do that, we would give you $3,000 for an ad in the New York Post and the Daily News. And Co-op, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so it's not like that you're saying as much anymore, which I think is, is probably better for everybody because now you're avoiding the returns, especially if you get some sort of stiff you look at you look at things on a more national basis and even when i was at pgd we went even though you had the branch structure and the branch system we went very early on this is you know back in the the mid 90s we went to much more of a national look at numbers so you probably when you had hmv 
going going back whatever that time period was that 1500 units might have been a silly number mm-hmm. for you to actually put into that store and you needed to probably spend that sort of money just to get the 1500 mm-hmm. which you'll never see that marketing money back but yet out of the 1500 what if they returned you know 800 of those then that's really a bad bad financial mistake really on the yeah. distributor side Yes. And probably on the retailer side. By the way, on the the retailer side as well, because they have open to buy dollars. Right. Right. So there's, you're sitting there where you could have, you could have taken that 1500 units and if the right number was 500 and yet you needed to do some catalog business, which was churning all the time, you were costing yourself a a little bit about a little bit of business doing it that way. Is there still a hundred percent return privilege or not? Mm -hmm. There is still. But, but 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 nobody really it, you don't really again the business has changed so much that that's that's funny you would ask that question because we don't really even think about it mm-hmm. in those terms because it's not where you're saying hey buy this and right. if it doesn't work just send it back we're send we're back, we're right. past those days yeah because it, and I'll, I'll explain it to you a little bit further when you look at obsolescence inventory. What you don't want to have is have such a large base of product that's sitting in your warehouse, a distribution warehouse, that you cannot sell. It hurts mm-hmm. the artist. It hurts your bottom line. So you're trying to be much more proactive and trying to be as right as possible. Mm-hmm. Now, do, do you get it right? Do the companies get it right all the time? No. I would, I would sit here and tell you that <laughs> it doesn't happen. But you try to be more right than you are wrong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What's your take on these exclusives? Like Target will get an exclusive U2 for, we don't even have to talk about the Apple thing now, but right. those exclusives and then the window opens and it goes to mm. other retailers. I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> That's got to be a very I difficult have, I situation. Have a, I have a, a probably a, just a contrary view about the whole thing. That, uh-huh. that I don't know. I don't know. Okay. I, you know, I always look at it. I'm a fan. I'm a music fan. I think everybody in here is a music fan. So I, I would say that probably depending on it would probably depend on the artist, I guess. But again, you want to be able to um, make sure the customer's got an opportunity to be able to buy the CD for mm-hmm. sure. And I think in some aspects too, it's the artist is guaranteeing themselves money. For before even the sale of the thing, because of the deal they work with Target or whomever, and to me it's it almost says if I'm an artist that I'm questioning whether I'm still out there and going to generate legitimate sales. Well, they are, but they are legitimate sales. Uh, yeah, but yeah, you know what definitely. I mean because mm-hmm. it's go the deal is made mm-hmm. and it goes out mm-hmm. before anyone even hears it. Uh so, I mean, you know, it's just a take from the artist's side. Um, we do have a question from Carrie Keller at I'm Carrie K. I've heard a lot of talk lately about lack of job security at record labels. Can you speak on this? Lack of job security? Well, I think it probably depends on, you know, what area of the business that you're in. When you, when you talk about the music business, I mean, it's a, there are a lot of different jobs within an organization. You know, you have finance people, you've got operations people, salespeople, marketing people. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I said a little while ago, you have so many different areas of the business that's growing. 
part of the magic that you should be doing as an organization is mentoring and developing people to be able to transition from one part of the business to another. There are a number of people that were on the physical side of account management and selling that are now on our digital teams and thriving and doing well. Because if you work hard, uh, study hard, um, and try to learn as much as you can about all parts of the business, I think that you'll find yourself in in pretty good shape. You know, we uh, we're yeah we're in the wrap up section at this point. This okay. has gone very quickly. Time flies. I, time has certainly flown. So we have a couple lessons that uh, I came up with as we were talking because we always try and kind of figure out you know what what our listeners can can grab onto. I think uh, the first in terms of from a personal management side, which is great that you brought that to the table, uh, Steve Corbin, was uh, you mentioned uh, the quote was a degree of patience mm-hmm. that I think mm-hmm. a lot of students of, of the industry today, uh, just, they want it now, 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 now. And they need to understand that it takes, it'll take years, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and, and I think the, the patience on both sides of the side of the artist and the side of, uh, of the personal manager is important. Well, I, I, I still get an opportunity, um, which is really, really to me, fantastic to consult independent artists uh, in addition to the job I have today. It's usually a, a night and kind of weekend thing, but if people go to lupomusic.com, there's about five independent artists that uh, you'll see. You can go right to their pages and things like that. Um, Dwight Nicole being one, um, uh, Melinda being another, uh, Maggie McClure and Shane Henry being another. And uh, the only artist I don't have up um, is, is Mike Willis, who has been doing this for, um, gosh, at least 15 years. But just about all of them have all been at this for a number of years, probably, mm-hmm. I would say, a minimum of 10 to 12 years. And they're all in their own way, all uniquely different Um but uh, yeah, if you go to lupomusic.com, you can you can check them out and give them a shout out or what have you. So, and I, I had always, to do that plug. Sorry, that's, <laughs> that's important. And I always bring up this in class that Lennon McCartney had their first hit in sixty two, sixty three, and they wrote their first song together in nineteen fifty seven. Yeah. So I think we should always remember that. So we are definitely, you hear the music, so we are beyond the wrap-up. We're in the closing remarks section. So I think we should thank Steve Corbin, uh, VP of Content Development for WIA, for being here. Thank Thank you so much, Steve. And we want to thank our uh, student co-host, Devana Aprovado. Thank you, uh, Devana, for being here. Big thanks to Philip Gorkowski, who is our awesome producer. Thank you very much, Philip. Thank you, Joey Stefan, who decided to sit here and do nothing the whole hour. And always a big, hearty, warm, wet kiss to Dr. Stephen Marconi. Thank, thank you, you so much, thank Doctor. You, thank, you. thank you. And my co-host, of course. Yes. Professor David Phil. Yes. Not you using his middle name. Right. Please, no need Kirk. to pronounce my middle name, which is Kirk. So you have been listening to Music Biz 101 and more on Brave New Radio 88.7 FM. You can always tweet us at MusicBiz101WP. Go to our website. Sign up for our weekly newsletter, MusicBiz101WP.com. Listen on the mobile, Stitcher.com. Look us up. We're here for you every week. We love you very much. And for that, we would love next to say... Next week, Dave Laurie will be our guest. Next week, Dave Laurie. Please. We're going to learn all Tune sorts in. of stuff. Yes. So thank you very much. And we would say, adios!